Welcome to Money with Alpha, where I share simple tips for how to make, save and invest money while also connecting your values with your lifestyle so you can achieve the life you really want. You will also hear interviews from real people as they share the ups and downs of their money journey. After all, we are all on a journey and what better way to learn about money than to hear what hasn't and has worked. Hi, and welcome to today's episode where I'm going to be talking with Dr. Laura Williams, who is a clinical psychologist and has been on her own quite extraordinary journey. So she's going to talk about her personal and professional experiences and a little bit about the psychology of money, if you will. So I'm going to let um, Dr. Laura do her introduction and tell you a little bit more about herself. So yeah, I'm Dr. Laura Williams and I'm a clinical psychologist and trauma specialist. And we have connected through our mutual um, work with Tina Tower. Um, But essentially I... Yeah, like, where will I start? So I'll tell a little bit about my backstory. So I worked for many, many years in the National Health Service here in Scotland. So I'm based just outside of Edinburgh. And I experienced very sudden and unexpected loss of my husband in 2018. And strangely enough, we had actually just got our visas and we're planning to emigrate to Oz. Um, And so we got the visas in the May and my husband passed away in the June. And so... As you can imagine, it was incredibly devastating and just something that you never expect to face at the age of 35. He was 38. We had three very small children. And so what that was, you know, was was a catalyst for me having a complete reevaluation of my life, my work. Um, And so I took some time off. I went back to work about six months later took a job a bit closer to home and then stayed with it for about a year before I said, right, I want to work for myself fully, um, at least for a while and kind of see how that goes. And so, yeah, so I I run a thriving online now based therapy service and I am just stepping into the world of course creation and online course creation so that I can scale my work and reach more people. Um, And I guess my passion is to help people understand themselves, know their own psychology, which is the name of my course, so that they can also um, live lives that are unlimited, you know, and yeah, that is where you find me today. <laughs> wow. That's an extraordinary story. I, I didn't know about the, um, the immigrating to Australia part and talk about life throwing curveballs. Wow. And you've, you've also got now two um, stepchildren essentially as well. So there's like a household of five. Yeah, I do. So yeah, like every good psychologist, I very quickly, I think within the space of about eight or nine days had found the support network that, you know, is out there in the UK for people who are widowed young and that sort of classified as under 50 and started attending sort of local support groups and speaking to people. And through that, met someone who was quite local to me. He had lost his wife the year before and had a couple of boys. And so we met initially as friends. We connected and fell in love, essentially. And, you know, are now sort of living out a life that we never, either of us expected, but we're happy. And yeah, yeah we're just the best that we can. Um, yeah. And you know, it, it's been tough. It's been tough. I'm not going to lie, but I'm also in a really good place. Yeah. And so to have the the level, I mean, the, the what I found really interesting about your story as well is you worked a lot in the trauma space 
in as yeah. a psychologist and then to experience such tremendous trauma yourself uh, and yeah. then did you you find having to work through sort of the things that you would probably have told clients and to do and patients sorry not probably not clients but patients yeah. and then you probably had to do that yourself um, and at least be guided through it because it's very difficult to do that thing I think that sort of thing I think for yourself um, but yeah. is, that, is that what you found yourself in the situation of? Sure. I mean, I think it's it's interesting because, you know, as a as a psychologist and someone who has worked for many years helping others, um, I think you sort of have this idea that you know about certain things. And, and while that's true and you do and you have large amounts of empathy and compassion for people and, and you know that thing or that, you know, issue um, on a professional level, I think it was just so enlightening to look at grief and trauma because I, you know, it was a very sudden death, so there was a trauma and the grief, and those two things are separate in my view. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it was like living through an experience that I'd known professionally for a very long time, and I could see the sort of, you know, the intrusive thoughts or um, flashbacks and those types of things that sound really scary, but you know, because I knew them professionally, I was like, oh, that's interesting. There, that is, and so yeah. I was in a place of being able to observe that, but. You know, I also cried a lot and I also processed a lot and I um, I think it was helpful overall that I had the experience that I had and it allowed me to do things my way while also knowing the backstory to it all, if that makes sense. Yes, you know, it's, um, so you have, a, you have a level of insight that not many people have. <laughs> And yeah. and before before we sort of hit record, part of the discussion we had was how the 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 element or the concept of trauma doesn't have to be dramatic. Um, it can yeah. be all sorts of things. So let, can you expand a little bit on what trauma actually even is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I. I have worked in trauma for a very long time, so I'll just tell you know the story for listeners so they know a bit about it. But I did my training and then very quickly ended up in working in sort of specialist services and prison-based work, um, and also laterally working with women who had been diagnosed with personality disorder and had very extreme expressions of psychological distress. Um, and I think society as a whole has this view that trauma are these big extreme things where people have perhaps experienced sexual assault, sexual abuse, neglect, those types of things in their childhood or, or, or thereafter. And while that's also true, what I know from my work and actually stepping into the private space as well has solidified this for me. Even those of us out there who are functioning, who are doing well, holding down jobs, looking after children, all of the things yeah. we can, all of us, um, have a level of traumatic experience from our past. I talk about this stuff as relational trauma. Mm -hmm. So it's essentially the day-to-day -day patterns that we got, in, got into in our relationships with our early caregivers, which might have been unhelpful in some way. And those things can exist even when our families were also loving and supportive. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's spoken about enough and so there's a whole subsection of us out there in society who are dealing with a whole load of stuff that we kind of suppress and hold in and don't really speak about because we're portraying this view of ourselves as having our stuff together all of the time and these are the people that I want to reach. Yeah and it's it's just it's interesting actually because you, you hear so much these days um, when people talk about their you know the it, things they've gone through and they've, they've had to gone through had to go through real hardship to 
you know, experience mm-hmm. some sort of transformation. And I know myself, when I, I hear those stories, I was like, well, I haven't really experienced anything. I mean, we've, we've all got, you know, crazy stuff that happens in families and not everybody gets along and all that kind of stuff, but nothing that I would have considered traumatic. So then, yeah. so then you start to think, well, A, I shouldn't really complain because, you know, there's nothing really that I have to complain about. And then secondly, does that mean I can never be successful if I haven't experienced something terrible that I need to transform from? Um, and I think it's, it's, again, coming back to, again, what we were talking about before, not comparing for starters, but then also understanding that we all have our journeys and if we, 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 we've, we've got the, the past or the histories that we've got and whatever that's done to get us to where we are now, it doesn't need to define where we end up or where we're going, but we still need to do it consciously and deal with some of that stuff and then focus yeah. on, on the future. So how, how do you help people, the women that you want to you reach, deal with that? Sure. So, you know, I think it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because you're right. When you sort of are working in the online space, you see many people who are like have had this really difficult event or something has happened and um, there's been this sort of what psychologists would talk about is post-traumatic growth. And I definitely view myself in that category. Like, I don't think I would be where I am now if I hadn't had the experience, which changed how I viewed life because I was like well life is very short Mm. you never know around the corner and so that almost um was supercharged like my using that and kind of pushed me in a way that maybe I wouldn't have been pushed before but the good thing about that is is you don't have to have those really difficult traumatic extreme experiences to look at your life reevaluate things and grow you know all you need is growth mindset and to really be intentional about where you want to go and what you want to do. And, you know, the truth is I always knew, even I was reflecting on this with a colleague the other day, even when I was as a trainee sat learning, I had a view that I would move into private work one day, but Mm -hmm. back then it felt like a bit of a dirty secret. Like you didn't want to really speak about that because it was wrong or, and this is interesting in terms of money as well. It was wrong to sort of want more. It was wrong to want to be visible. And, you you know, psychology was very much, I talk about it as conform or die. You know, you kind of had to like fit the mold. And I just was like, I did that for such a long time and I did it really successfully. I'm really good at it. (laughs) Just got to a point, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I, you know, and, and there, I had experiences in that last year where I was also feeling very like I didn't have the autonomy that I'd worked for and deserved, mm. even though I was in your positions. And I was like, yeah, I just, I need yeah. to do things differently. And I think anyone can make that choice. That's it. And it's, it's intentional. I, I, there's a couple of words in there that you said that I really want to pull out intentional yeah. and choice. Um, yes. And I, I talk about that quite a lot. And it's it's very much about making the decision, having the, cho- and then having the choice or the decision and choice kind of go together, but then you've got to kind of have your sort of ducks in a row, but you've got to still get them in a row. So you can get yeah. your, your mental side together um, and then focus on, because we were talking also about how the the traumas, whatever they happen to be for, for each individual can play out in behaviours in so many ways where, you know, we don't feel worthy or we feel, feel unintelligent perhaps. Or like, because I hear a lot of, oh, money's hard or I'm not good at math. And I was like, well, money actually doesn't really have that much to do with math. Yes, it's got numbers in it, um, but there's so much more about it. Oh, I'm not organised. Yeah, well, there's all these things. And they're, to be honest, they just can't become excuses as a result of something else that's going on. 
And it's that something else that I think is what a lot of what you do in helping people with their psychology. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the aspects of the um, program that I'm that, that I'm going to be delivering for people is about what you're talking about there. And I would talk about that as core beliefs. So the things that you're saying, I'm not organized, I'm bad with money, I'm not worthy enough, I don't deserve extra cash. You know, all of these things are actually about the core beliefs and they're really difficult to shift. And part of the reason they're really difficult to shift is, is because when they've been set down in that childhood sort of time period, we what we then do is we look for all the evidence that supports the belief and we just heap the evidence on top and on top and on top and it levels and layers up over the years. And before you know it, you're at a point where you just you just believe it without question. Yeah. Um, and so that's the bit where it, it gets difficult and, and I'm trying to help people First of all, identify what the core beliefs are and where they came from and why, because usually that's the intergenerational nature of trauma is that what you've been modelled becomes becomes what you do and your pattern. Um, With a few added things just for yourself, you know. (laughs) Yeah, tuck your own trauma and all your own stuff as well. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And so what you're trying to do is backpedal years of beliefs and years of patterns that are very difficult to shift, but it's possible. And I think that too many people are out there living their lives limited because of this stuff. Oh my goodness. Yes. you. Yeah. Sorry. You speak in my language. Cause I, I actually just did a, a podcast a few weeks ago about money and limiting beliefs and yeah. yeah and it's, and sometimes I, I think we keep ourselves in them because they're familiar and, you know, yes. it's like a, a nice worn in pair of slippers. You're like, oh, yeah, they're comfy. They're comfy. They're good for me. You know, they keep my feet warm. You know, I feel much better wearing them. But then little by little, if somebody st- even starts to, because that awareness is that is that real key, because as soon as you start to become questioning or someone questions it, um, and quite often I find even just saying, so why do you think that? People just kind of look yeah. and go, oh, I actually don't know. <laughs> they haven't questioned it or you know ever considered that there might be an alternative view or 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 whatever yeah that's it and um so your your the program that you run how long does it go for so it's a six-week um program although you know it's open-ended insofar as people will have access to the library of resources and materials and things um as long as they want essentially Um, and i do that purposefully because some people take a bit longer and want to really think about things and there's a lot of stuff here right it's it's individual psychology so it might bring up delays and processing time and all that Mm. but in addition to to that they also essentially get access to a private facebook support group where i'll be in there sort of answering questions and an ongoing monthly live where people can come and ask about the content and they can also if they want there's an option on some one-to-one support with me if they want to add that on um but it's, it's interesting you speaking about um sort of limiting beliefs and you know i think a lot of people um when they have lived with certain patterns so you know we were talking before about like if you are struggling with anxiety for instance I very much see anxiety as the symptom of the problem not the problem itself and so as well as thinking about beliefs and things I'm asking people to think about well where where did that come from because the anxiety or the depression or whatever it is that you're experiencing I believe is the symptom of the problem Mm. or in fact the the way that you've developed coping strategies Mm. to manage things for yourself and feel safe so what you were saying there like we we get stuck because we feel safe and secure Mm. even 
in the miserable, even even in the yeah. stuff that we don't like, it still feels safer and more secure than saying, hold on, I'm going to change this now because change, yeah. it can be far scarier than any of the stuff that you've dealt with before because you you know that you can, there's a, there's a level with which you're dealing with it, right? Yeah, you know um, what the outcome's going to be from the safe because you've experienced it so many times, which reinforces everything, yeah. but you make a change. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen, and you might not always be in control of the result, and that's that could be scary. But sometimes yeah. the stuckness is you, you get if you get so fed up with the stuckness, that's a really good motivator <laughs> to be able to you know make that make that leap. Absolutely, and I think you know I'm I'm very clear with clients. Like I quite often get people sort of inquiring, you know, about therapy for their family member, or, and I got really like clear at, at the beginning with people and saying. I'm not going to take a referral from anyone by the person who's referring themselves because yeah. it just doesn't work. You no. have to have that intrinsic motivation and yeah. that need and desire to want to change it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people really do get attached to, you know, I, I specialize in eating issues as well. Mm-hmm. And um, people do get attached to the disordered eating. They get attached to who they are and the identity that becomes, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the way they've lived their life. And, and that goes across yeah. the board. And money is no different, right? Yeah, well, there's that that whole concept of, you know, money corrupts. I know that was one of the things that my grandmother used to say. And I know she had a whole lot of stuff. She was, you know, born at the end of World War One in Austria and, you know, lived through World War Two there as well. And, and there was a whole lot of stuff there. And then I went, so, of course, I grew up thinking that too. I was like, oh. But then you'd see these people doing amazing things, philanthropists, and, you know, you, then, you, then you start to think, wow, money like if you're if you're corruptible, it will corrupt you. If you're not corruptible and you've got a, a greater purpose or a greater vision, it will just expand that. So it's it's yes. it's, sort of, it's an energy and a tool that will help expand um, on what you're you would. It's a bit like when you're drunk. You know, people are like, oh, you know, they're a not they're a mean drunk or they're a sad drunk. I was like, well, maybe that's just a reflection of you know the the, the current state. Anyway, just just um, amp- amplifies it. Um, so yeah, that was of yeah that you know you are who you are and money allows you to be more of that you know yes that's it yeah so um because how I came across Tina was through um business chicks and the hunger project had a program where you had to raise ten thousand dollars um and then um, fund our trip over to whichever the country I went to was Uganda and Tina was one of the people who'd done it the year before and yeah. so that's that's how we we came to to sort of connect and and ever since then I was just like oh I'm so like just you want to be able to do more of it and to be able to do that you need money to do it and it's so much it's so nice to be able to give but you need to be able to to get your own house in order first before it's like you you, you fit your own oxygen mask first before you can go and help somebody else Um, and then so when somebody so how do you see sort of the the money stuff like the trauma and perhaps self-worth we're talking a bit about before do you see that play out with with your patients yeah absolutely I see that play out with my patients I see it play out with myself when I think back to the beginning of my business journey thinking about charging for the very first time having to have money conversations having to sit tight when someone says that's too expensive and you're sat there feeling guilty and shameful for having charged um I'm I'm definitely further down the line than I was I mean I was vastly undercharging discounting blocks of therapy and wondering why clients were coming who were maybe not as committed as I might have liked and the minute that I changed that my client base changed 
Yeah, it's interesting the the concept of you give something for free, people don't appreciate it unless unless you've sort of worked and you've invested. And and in this particular case, money is just a tool we use to sort of demonstrate that investment. Um, if we in the, the days of bartering, you would provide something that you created a value in exchange for some for someone's service. Um, mm-hmm. But either way, the exchange feels complete. It's not it's not like if it's if it's too one sided. <laughs> then yeah. there's, there's going to be a, a level of resentment, I think, that kind of muddies the water. So um, that's, a, that's an important one, valuing yourself and then the person yeah. will value the service that you're giving them. So yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And, you know, I do also see money playing out in my individual clients' journeys when I hear them speaking about, you know, if there's been a level of understanding that money was scarce. Yeah. Um, in the same way that if food was scarce, you know, and it, it can create disorder. And so, you know, while I'm not an expert in money trauma or by any um, means, I can absolutely see how, you know, the environment that people grew up in, if there was poverty, if there was scarcity, if there was loads of money, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it's, it crosses the spectrum, right? And it sets the tone, I think, for how people view money is it easy come is easy go is it you know money is really you have to work work hard for your money um and I certainly grew up in a in a family where both parents worked mm-hmm. they worked overtime when they could they worked hard they worked long hours and I very much grew up I you know I um find Tina I'll just say a little bit about this I find Tina through Denise Duffield Thomas mm-hmm. who I'd followed for years and she does um sort of money-based work as well yeah. and she encourages encourages you to think about your money memories and I had this very clear memory of my mum sat on a Saturday night with a a notebook and a pen sort of writing down figures and clearly she was you know trying to balance the books right it was like this much on you know mortgage and this much on food and this much on clubs for the kids and all that kind of stuff and I remember having that sort of moment and looking at that and I would see this notebook lying all over the house and realize Money is probably quite tight, though we felt affluent to me. Yeah. And we were by most standards, but like it was still tight, you know? Yeah, it was being monitored regularly. Yes, it was being looked at. But interestingly, one of my struggles is not wanting to monitor money. I I avoid. (laughs) (laughs) And I work really hard when the mail comes in or like, you know, genuinely, there's money avoidance goes on in my mind. And I'm not sure what that is. It's, you know scared that there's not going to be enough or yeah that's what it's scared there's not going to be enough or there's going to be some unexpected bill and I can't you know all of those things kind of follow me around yeah it is I was I was actually just talking the other day with somebody about how we sort of we either follow kind of the same path of our parents or we deviate because we're it's like either toward or away from and my parents were both spenders and um, they both spent I think at some point beyond their means. Uh, whereas I went down the path, I grew up watching that. And so when I was old enough to make my own money, I like squirreled it away. And I just yeah. didn't, I didn't want to spend money. But then of course you come to the point where you start earning and I I started earning well as well. And then sort of, I, I before I knew it, I was following my mother's path. I was like, oh my God, oh no, I can't pay off my full credit card this month. This is terrible. And that was, that was my wake up call. I was like, oh no, I can't, this is, yeah, I've got to make, got to make some changes. So this is yeah. part of the journey that I've been on, which, and so it, it very much comes back to, to how we grew up, which is also interesting yeah. because, I mean, you've got three of your own children and there's other two now in, in your, in your care too. And I've got, I've got a daughter and I'm very yeah. conscious of how I speak and behave about money. 
And I'm sure I slip and there's probably some stuff that she picks up and there'll be some, some, some stuff that she's going to have to get over when she gets older. But um, how do you sort of, because I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the things, a lot of the baggage that we carry into adulthood have come from our childhood. How do you monitor that, I suppose, with your, your family? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've got some examples recently with my daughter, actually. So she's nine and she, um, uh, yeah, I think she's now just getting to the point of understanding the value of money. Mm-hmm. And I am conscious about, I sometimes do project my, we can't afford that or that's too much money or, and I hear her picking that up and I've been a bit intentional about trying to sort of temper that a little bit with, well, yeah. look, no, if we really need something, then we work for that and we save for that and we do that thing but recently she was talking to a friend who goes horse riding and she's keen to start horse riding and I had said to her well look you know something's got to give so you can't do all of the all of the clubs and horse riding you'll need we need to think about this Mm. and um, she'd gone and asked her friend who'd sort of told her the rough ballpark figure of like 30 pounds for one horse riding lesson and she was horrified and she was like oh my goodness that's so expensive and her friend was like no it's not and I was so proud that she has got to the point now where she understands the value of money and she'd worked out well if I did that every week that's about 120 pounds you know and actually percentage wise of my salary I was explaining to her at the moment that's not really feasible and so we need to think about we could do that but could we do that once every two months or once every month or something like that so I'm intentional about them having what I would like to think is a more balanced approach to money and helping them think about you have to spend money for the things you need and it's nice to treat yourself but that just has to be in moderation like most things in life Um, but I you know one thing I'll say about the trot so as someone who was widowed young um, I know there are many people out there who've had that experience who are then thrown into financial uncertainty Mm. and it is possibly one of apart from losing my husband it's possibly one of the scariest things I've ever had to contend with Mm. was not really having my books in order Mm. not really having the things in place like life insurance and things and there were reasons behind that partly he had um he was a type 1 diabetic so at the time that we looked at life insurance it was inordinately not feasible for us at the time yeah. we bought our first home and then we never got around to it because life gets in the way yeah. so there was no life insurance there was no this and I was genuinely faced with three small children a job that I loved and was a good job and supported me but I needed to be around for my kids And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to save my house. You know, was I going to be able to live in my house? Mm. As it turned out, we got very lucky and his employer stepped in and helped and supported us. And I was able to essentially pay my mortgage off. And what was really fascinating about it, I don't know how how many of your listeners sort of, um, you know, go in for the sort of woo-woo of the universe, but I was terrified about this mortgage. It was the one thing that I just, if I could just get that dealt with and the amount of money that was paid out was essentially exactly the amount of money that my house was going to take to be paid off and I remember just thinking yeah but the universe has my back yeah and yeah like so I am aware that I have all of that fear that kind of sits there and I'm just don't want to push that onto them you know yeah oh yeah um universe absolutely the the language um it's it's not not to that that level of of significance but um yeah i had a i had a client where she was working for a not working for a non-profit and we started working and she's like oh we've all been told there's no pay rises and she's like i've been really bad with money up until now 
And so we, we started doing some work and then probably about oh, a month or so into it, she sends me this email. She's like, I just got a pay rise. I'm so excited. And I was like, yes, because the universe now trusts that you know what to do with it. And it's, yeah. it's given you that. So the same thing there. I, I, I completely believe that there's, there's a, there's an undescribable, you can't, you can't, you can't explain it um, yeah. kind of thing that goes on there. And, and in your intense time of need, that was there to to give you the the support for the, the thing that you you feared most in in that space and that that allowed you to be there for your kids because that I, I can't even imagine <laughs> but but the the concept of what you bring up is incredibly important and i go through that in, in my course as well so estate planning having having that it's uncomfortable but having that file that's got all yep. your bank details in it having i don't know if in in the in scotland if they have something called an enduring power of attorney um but having i mean in your your husband's case it was quite sudden by the sounds of it i don't know the, the details but um if things happen and and you need to take over you can take over really easily um you know what's going on it's you have a will you've got all sorts of other things sorted whether it's insurances or, or whatever but it, it's the sort of stuff where it's not pleasant to think about or to do but once it's done, it's more or less done. Yeah, no, absolutely. And actually, you know, that was something that became so apparent to me. And I spoke out about it at the time, like I was telling everyone who would listen, get your will, get this done, get it. And, you know, yeah, like pe- nobody likes to speak about death. I remember actually uh, a lecture back in the day when I was training and it was on sort of organ donation. And yeah. there's something interesting that goes on psychologically for people, right? So you say yeah. to someone, do you want your organs when you die and they immediately sort of <gasps> recoil at the idea of their own death their own demise and yeah. lots of people do not lean into it because they don't want to face the reality of what that might look like mm. um and I think it's the same around things like estate planning and getting your financial house in order you just don't really there's a point in your life I think you feel invincible and then when you don't and you start to question it, you don't want to face it because you're like, oh, I'm getting older and I don't want to die, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm I'm very much one of those people. If something scares me, that's exactly what I want to do because I'm like, I don't like to be afraid. So I'm like, yeah. yep, I'll jump out of the plane. I'll do it. The only thing I won't do is bungee jump. Don't tell me why. I don't, I don't, I, that's the only thing that I will not do. Everything else I've pretty much done. Um, but, yeah, but not, and I was just like, you know, this is, this. I don't want to be afraid of this and I don't want to leave my family having to deal with any of this stuff. Um, yeah. But one of the interesting things, and this is one of the things that kind of put me down my path of trying to help other women was, when you have a have a will and you get married, it becomes invalid. You've got to redo it. So even if you think you've done the right thing, I don't know, again, if this, this is, applies um, in Scotland, but you, you have to redo it. So literally the, I think it was on the, my husband and I got married on the Saturday, the, on the Monday, we went into to our lawyer's office and signed our new wills because we had to as after we become legally married. <laughs> Yes, I'm not entirely sure of the the full legalities, but I do know that, you know, I follow a few financial people in Scotland, actually, through various networks of mine. And I was listening to someone speak about, you know, how kind of screwed over women are in terms of their finances in so many ways, because we, you know, we stopped work to have children and it impacts our pensions and we stop and then and then if you divorce you're in a way with less and you know so I think it's it's important to think about these things and actually my own situation now I need to look at my will I as much as I'm talking about I was really scared and I had that experience Mm. I have 
avoided going back and doing that mm-hmm. because I've met a new partner, yeah. because you're working all of that out. We now own a, own a home together. Yeah. But that's taken a few years to get us to the place of like, what is this and what does this look like? And so I kind of waited and now feel in a place that I can do that and, yeah. and get everything in order. But there's life gets in the way of these things and it, it mm. gets complex and tricky. And it's it's a whole lot of psychological stuff goes on before you can get yourself to that point as well, for sure. Yeah. And that's where people mm-hmm. like yourself come in to help people, remind people of the thing, <laughs> A, what's important in life and B, how they can get their, their psychology or their minds around what they need to do to help clear whatever's blocking them from mm-hmm. getting to where they want to go or, or living their life fully. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm not sure how much time you've got left, but um, how, do, how, do people find, how do people find your course or find out more about you? Um, and is there a time frame involved in, in what they, if they, if there's something you're offering right now that people need to maybe make, take action on? Sure, absolutely. So if people are interested in my course, Know Your Own Psychology, the website is of the same name. And you can also find me at drlaurawilliams.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and that's where you'll find me. Um, the course is essentially at the moment because I'm just starting in like a pre-order phase. So if people want that, they can jump in before the 31st of August at like an early bird rate. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the price goes up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's available now and you can jump on in to our community. And I very much view this as lifetime work you know which is why I'm sort of doing the ongoing work with people in the zoom space as well on a monthly basis but yeah that's where you can find me oh wonderful I'll put some of those links in the show notes so that and if you're driving while you're listening to this you don't have to stop it right now um but yeah thank you thank you so much that that was that was an amazing um amazing chat and and you're you're inspiring I mean it's the, the approach that you've got and how, what you've been through and now that you're using that to help others, I think is, is truly wonderful. So thank you very thank much. You much for having me. Much appreciated.